And now you will hear the sound of William Allen White's toilet being flushed. Oh, I forgot to wash my hands. Drunken Flapper. I'm Merle Riedel, and you're listening to an October 10th, 2007 podcast from the Kansas Historical Society. In this podcast, museum staff reveal the story behind the story about artifacts featured on the Cool Things section of our website, kshs.org. from Emporia, a small town in southeast Kansas. It was here that over 100 years ago, a young man named William Allen White took over the local newspaper, the Emporia Gazette. White went on to become a Pulitzer Prize winning writer, gubernatorial candidate, buddy of presidents, and mentor to popular writers. His newspaper went on to receive international circulation, and today is still operated by his descendants. This episode is the first of a two-part series dedicated to William Allen White. Today, we'll examine a set of books from his personal library, and we'll do it from the office of his historic home. These books were inscribed by Edna Ferber, a female author with a special relationship to White. Was she a colleague that saw White as a big brother, or a drunk flapper looking for a good time? First, Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and I take a tour of William Allen White's historic home from Site Administrator Nick Gronseth. Join us as we stroll through the personal effects of the Sage of Emporia. And of course, since we're in his house, we couldn't avoid playing another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, Election 2008. Later in the episode, you'll hear how we connect William Allen White to presidential candidate John McCain. It's a William Allen White extravaganza. My name is Merle Riedel, and I am the assistant uh, curator at the Kansas Museum of History. And uh, I'm with Nikayla Zimmerman, assistant registrar, and Nick Gronseth. And you are the site administrator for the William L. White State Historic Site. Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. All right. Um, and we are actually in the visitor center of the William L. White State Historic Site. Can you tell us a little bit about William L. White and who he was? Uh, yeah, he was a uh, the newspaper editor of the Emporia Gazette, uh, which kind of made him nation uh, nationwide known. Uh, he was also an author. Um, was helped found the Progressive Party with Teddy Roosevelt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was they were buddies. He, they were very close friends. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, he was a mover and a shaker in the early 20th century, basically. Okay, and we're looking at some of the objects here in the visitor center. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the address book? Uh, yes, uh, we actually found uh, the address book was actually in the house when the state got it. Um, it's got uh, all of the addresses that the Whites had. Uh, in their years here at Emporia, um, I know that the, there is an address for 
Teddy Roosevelt, I'm pretty sure. But it's, this is uh, Teddy Roosevelt's home address in here. Yeah, possibly Oyster Bay. I actually haven't seen that yet, but it's on the O's. I'm, I'm getting mm-hmm. back to R. I change it every once in a while. I believe H.G. Wells is in there. Oh, that's right. If I remember right, that was one of the big ones when we were um, cataloging stuff from the house, that he's in the W's. So right. you have to let us know when you get to the W's. <laughs> Definitely. You want to tell us about the uh, press passes? Uh, yeah, we have uh, three passes that uh, White had. I'm not sure, but I know the, the middle one and the bottom one are the ones that he got to meet, uh, to go in and, and uh, report on uh, the process of the piece before the treaty was signed. And then he actually, we have his uh, Versailles pass that he got to go to the Versailles pal- Palace when uh, the Germans signed their treaty after World War One. That's amazing. That is, yeah. And was he reporting for the Emporia Gazette when he did this? Um, I think he was uh, reporting. I, I'm sure some of it went in there, but I think it was for a syndicate, a press syndicate. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was like it was like uh, the AP. I mean, yeah. it would go out to multiple papers. Yeah, exactly. So we're walking by a hammock. Yes. And um, some chairs. What's with the hammock? Uh, the hammock is uh, one that I think was found in the house um, upstairs. Uh, William Allen White loved to. Uh, sit out here on his porch, and it's and a good view. It is, it and is. so he sit out here, and there's a picture. It looks like he's sitting out here with his wife Sally and, and son mm-hmm. William Lindsay, just hanging. Yep, literally. This is where he liked to hang out. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's go inside. Do you know when the house was built? Uh, it was built in the late 1880s. I've gotten four years between 1885 and 1889, so. To round it off, say, late 1880s. I see. So we're standing in front of a secretary, and there's some shiny golden plates, like dinner plates inside of it, and some bottles. Mm-hmm. Um, what what are the plates and the bottles from? Uh, the plates are some that were actually part of Alexander III, who was a czar of Russia. Um, so these are czarist Russian they are, plates. Uh-huh. China, or uh, Sally liked to collect China, and... Uh, when they were in Russia, she actually picked these up. It's the story I've been told. So that's that's quite amazing to be here in Emporia and have. She didn't pick the cheap was, stuff. No, she? no, she didn't. It was it's uh, top of the line. Okay, we're looking at his books. He's got bookshelves pretty much all around the um, the living room here, and then he's got a study upstairs that's got more books. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just looking at some of the titles, and one that caught my attention was Mein Kampf. Yes. It seems an odd book to have in his house. Well, it does. Uh, White was actually on the, the committee that uh, decided to have that translated, and he's got the uh, edition of the American trans- English translation here in his house. So I'm sure he didn't necessarily agree with anything in that book, but uh, freedom of speech and, and such he, was important to him. Yeah, he was an advocate of freedom of speech, so I, I'd imagine he really felt it was important to be able to read even you know, somewhat controversial material. Yes, indeed. indeed. And I'm looking at other stuff here. There's Hemingway. There is Sinclair Lewis. So he was well-read himself. He was, and he was a given. He knew a lot of authors and had a a lot of books that were signed by the authors, given to him as gifts. Mm -hmm. Next episode, we'll finish the tour of this historic home as we ascend to the second floor. For now, let's take a closer look at one set of books among the many that line the walls. 
Many of these authors knew White personally, maybe a little too personally. When the moon hits your eye, Join like Assistant Registrar Nikayla Zimmerman and I as we examine a set of books inscribed by author Edna Ferber. When the world seems to shine like good morning, Nikayla. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Today we are podcasting from the home of William Allen White, um, and the house is located in Emporia, Kansas, which is in uh, southeast Kansas. Um, and we're here today to talk about a set of books. That was in White's personal library. And White um, was a man from Emporia, owned the Emporia Gazette. He was a newspaper editor, um, a writer himself. He wrote several books and um, uh, a Pulitzer Prize winner. And because he was an editor, he knew a lot of writers. That he did. And we're talking about a set of books from him. And these books have some inscriptions in them that are a little suggestive. Maybe. <laughs> uh, and that's interesting because the author was a woman, which is probably a good thing, and uh, White was a married man. Nikayla, who is the author of these books, and uh, would we recognize any of her work today? Well, the author is Edna Ferber, and while a lot of people probably wouldn't recognize that name off the top of their head if it was mentioned to them, they probably do know things that she's written just by association. Um Ferber wrote Showboat, which was later made into a movie and a musical. So if you've heard the song Old Man River, that's from Showboat, and she wrote the book that that was based on. Um, she also wrote Cimarron, which was also made into a movie, and she wrote Giant, which uh. yeah, which came out in the 1950s. It was made into a movie starring Rock Hudson, Elizabeth Taylor, and James Dean in the, in the main roles, and it was a very popular movie. Um, she's also sometimes associated with the Algonquin Roundtable, which was a group of um, literary figures who met at the Algonquin Hotel for lunch every day. In the New hotels City. in New York? In New York City, that's right. Um, she ate lunch with them sometimes, but she wasn't considered to be a founding member. And she herself in her autobiography was a little surprised when, you know, she indicated that she was surprised when people started associating her with that group. You know, we recognize the movie Giant. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of her, a lot of her books were turned into movies. Mm -hmm. um, was she a popular author in her day? The short answer is yes. She was very popular in her day. Um, many literary critics consider her to be the most successful female novelist of her time. She wrote from the nineteen teens until um, the nineteen sixties. Um, just so you know, like you have a base of comparison. Um, the Great Gatsby, which was written by F. Scott Fitzgerald, it came out in 1925. And I think we can all say that it's considered one of the quintessential books of the 1920s that kind of defined that generation of people. Um, when it came out in 1925, it sold less than 25,000 copies in its first year. By comparison, Ferber wrote a book called So Big, um, that was published in 1924. She won the Pulitzer for that book, the um, Pulitzer Prize for American Novels. And according to some of the bestseller lists of the time, the book sold 160,000 copies in its first 40 weeks. And that was... Wow. Yeah. And you have to consider that's in the 20s. There were no um, book clubs or bargain book sellers it was this was all bookstore sales there's no barnes and noble no barnes and Noble. no amazon.com this was people going to the bookstore buying this book how did edna ferber know william ellen white well edna ferber and william ellen white met in 1912 when they were both hired by the adams newspaper syndicate to cover the 
1912 Democratic and Republican National Conventions. Um, they met in Chicago, which was where the Republican side was being held, and then they traveled together to Baltimore, where the Republican or the Democratic side was being held. Both Ferber and White were newspaper journalists. Um, Ferber had been born in Kalamazoo, Michigan in 1885, but grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. She took some classes at Lawrence University, but never completed her degree. And to help um, have a little pocket money for her family, she took a job at the Appleton Daily Crescent, covering kind of human interest stories and the courthouse beat, that kind of thing. And then later, um, she got a job with the Milwaukee Journal. And similarly, William Allen White was born in Emporia in 1868 and grew up in El Dorado. He attended the College of Emporia and KU and worked at newspapers in Topeka and Kansas City before buying the Emporia Gazette in 1895. So they had similar backgrounds, they had things in common, and um, they were um, part of these five uh, journalists who were hired to cover the conventions, and they the group became known as the Adams Train Seals. They were very friendly with each other, but... Train Seals. Train Seals, yeah. They were kind of, you know, the scrubs that did whatever they had to do uh. to get the story, yeah. Written on the front cover of White's edition of Ferber's book, Cimarron, is the following inscription. Dear Sally and Will, you're as much to blame for this as I am. Edna, 1930. What did Edna mean by this? William Allen White actually gave Edna Ferber the idea for writing the novel Cimarron. Really? Yeah. She um, occasionally came to Emporia after she'd finished working on a novel or um, a play um, just to kind of unwind and relax. She knew that if she came to the White's house, she could get a good meal, a decent conversation, she could kick back, you know. So she liked to come here to visit the Whites. It's a little slower pace in Emporia. Yeah, and she could sit down on the nice front porch and, you know, just Sit hang. in the hammock. Yeah, it was a good time. So she comes to Emporia to relax, and the Whites are telling her about a trip they made to Oklahoma and how fascinating the history was and what a, an incredible state Oklahoma is, how it's like the true American spirit. And White says to Ferber, you should write this novel. And, you know, that wasn't out of the question because Ferber's novels were these epic historical novels. You know, they'd start, they'd focus on a family and go through two or three generations, and they were very much centered around the history of the United States. And so White thought this would be a good topic for Ferber. Ferber said, no thanks, that's a man's story, you should write it. And uh, that's kind of where it left. But he had planted the seed there, and she decided that she'd like to see Oklahoma. And so she came back in the spring and had the Whites take her to Oklahoma. So William Allen White, his wife, and Edna Ferber pack and William up. William Lindsay. William uh, Lindsay drove. William Lindsay, the son of William yeah. Allen White and, and Sally Lindsay White, who becomes, yeah. a, who becomes a writer in his own right. Right. They all pack up in the car. They and, make the kid drive. Yeah, and go to Oklahoma. And the Whites, I think they spent like five days to a week with her in Oklahoma, and then they came back to Emporia, and she stayed there for a while and did research. And by the time she left, she was writing Cimarron. And so Cimarron is named for a river that runs through in Oklahoma, correct? Um, it's more named, well, yeah, the river and an area of Oklahoma, which actually the book covers um, the land rush, the um, Cherokee Strip, uh -huh. which was actually a completely different area of Oklahoma. You stated that Ferber was a member of the Algonquin Roundtable. Associated with. Associated okay. with them. Um, and that's interesting because the Algonquin Round Table was sort of known for its drinking and hard partying, particularly yeah. the women like Dorothy Park, Dorothy Parker and Zelda Fitzgerald were pretty intense. Yeah. Um, and that's interesting because that type of lifestyle is in direct clash, I guess, with what William Allen White was all about. He wasn't necessarily a teetotaler, but he didn't promote drinking. And, you know, he was a small town Kansas newspaper editor. And I don't think he would have had much 
uh, much room to put up with um, the Dorothy Parkers and the Zelda Fitzgeralds <laughs> of the world. Um, uh, what do you think that their relationship was like? Well, actually, I don't think Edna Ferber's views on alcohol probably differed that much from William Allen White's. She wasn't a heavy drinker. Actually, she advised friends in the roundtable who were founding members of the roundtable that if they wanted to be serious writers, if they wanted to do good writing, they needed to get away from the roundtable and anywhere the people in the roundtable went. You know, don't travel with them, don't have lunch with them, don't party with them. Go to Kansas City and focus on your writing. This is what she told um, Robert Sherwood, who was a me an original member of the Roundtable and really good friends with Dorothy Parker. He was moaning to Edna, or, uh, Edna Ferber that he couldn't get anything written, and she's like, leave New York, go to Kansas City, hole up, just write, stop drinking. And he didn't go to Kansas City, but he took her advice and in the process wrote two plays. To get the full flavor of White and Ferber's relationship, I think we should read some of the inscriptions that Ferber wrote to William Allen White. And they're in these books that were in his library, Ferber's books. Right. Um, so I'll read the first one. It says, To William Allen White, who makes me want to do better things, Edna Ferber, Chicago, April 5th, 1913. You're so much a part of my life, dear Will, that this book isn't only me, it's you too. At least you're involved in whatever is good in it. Edna, February 1940. And here's the final one that I like the best. Um, for Sally Lindsay White, who was William Allen White's wife, whom I love, Edna Ferber, I dare you to lend this copy around to the neighborhood and lose it, as you did the first one. Chicago, February 11th, 1916. A little catty sounding. Maybe a little. Okay, with that last inscription in mind, what do you think the relationship was between Sally White and Edna Ferber? It could either be incredibly catty, don't lose this copy of the book, or it could be um, the familiarity of really good friends. Um, Ferber included Sally in most of the inscriptions to the books that she sent, um, in the books that she sent to William Allen White. And in the, her autobiography, she compliments Sally frequently as being a true lady. Um, I, Ferber did have doubts about her abilities as a writer, just, you know, like anyone who's a professional has doubts about their abilities. And I think she probably would have been flattered a little bit to think that Sally respected her work enough to lend it out to people in the neighborhood. And maybe even that um, someone in the neighborhood saw the value in a book from Edna Ferber to the Whites and was like, hmm, I think I'm going to hang on to this. Who knows? It could go either way. Or maybe she really wanted William Allen White for herself and she was... Just making little digs. Who knows? <laughs> That's interesting because if you think about it, um, there's a lot of the people that live in this neighborhood that were still living here when the Whites lived here. Mm -hmm. And, um, okay, hypothetically, she sent this book out to the neighborhoods, to the neighbors to look at. She never got it back. So it's possible that in one of these houses around <laughs> this house right now in Emporia, Kansas, there is an inscribed edition of an Edna Ferber book. That's true. That Sally Lindsay wanted it back. <laughs> okay, now for my final question. Nikayla, if you could inscribe anything to a book, uh, to William Allen White, uh, what would it be? I have a couple suggestions. My su first suggestion, for Will, didn't get to read your editorial. Did you ever figure out what was the matter with Kansas? It's pretty flat. Maybe that's it. And here's my second idea. For William Allen White, whom I love, I dare you to eat this copy like you did the last one. <laughs> nice. I'm sure you would appreciate both those inscriptions. Um, I think if I was inscribing a book to William Allen White, one of them would be To Will, who I know doesn't read these, but only puts them on his shelf so that he looks smart. <laughs> or, then I was also thinking, probably the only book I would inscribe to William Allen White 
would have been if we went to school together. So it would be his yearbook. And I think it would go something like so this. So you're going to tell me what a yearbook inscription to William <laughs> yeah. Allen is? it would be something like, Hey, Will, stay cool. Class of 1885 rocks. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Nikayla. No problem. A long time ago, we used to be friends, but I haven't thought of And now it's time for another round of Six Degrees of William Allen White, election 2008. And uh, this week we are podcasting from the den of William Allen White, the William Allen White for which this segment is dedicated <laughs> to. Um, and joining me today is uh, Nikhila Zimmerman, Assistant Registrar, and Nick Groenseth, the Site Administrator for the William Allen White State Historic Site. How are you guys doing? Good. Very good. Good. All right. So first we're going to start out... Um, Nikayla, I believe you have a solution to last week's Six Degrees of William Allen White, which was to connect him to, uh, who are we connecting him to? John McCain. Okay, and you have a solution. I have one. I think Nick's got one, too. Oh, that's right. Nick, you have one. Yeah, Let's do uh, yours first. Okay, and, uh, well, we know that John McCain, uh, was in the military. He went to the Naval Academy like his father and grandfather, um, and the Naval Academy was established by the, uh, Secretary of the Navy in the 1840s. Um, Teddy Roosevelt was the Assistant Secretary of the Navy True. during the William McKinley res uh, res administration, and Teddy Roosevelt was very good friends and the political hero of William Allen White. So there you go. That works. Michaela has a similar solution. Yeah, we both went through Teddy Roosevelt. Uh, there's so many ways Teddy Roosevelt figures into this. Um, okay, so John McCain III is the grandson of John McCain Sr., who was a four-star admiral in the U.S. Navy. And I believe you said he served in World War One and World War Two. That's right. Impressive. When uh, John McCain Sr. was an ensign, he was a crew member on the USS Connecticut, which was the flagship of the Great White Fleet. Um, the Great White Fleet was a U.S. Navy force that Teddy Roosevelt ordered to circumnavigate the globe from 1907 to 1909 so that they could show um, how great the American military power was and how great our Navy was. Um, McCain was on the USS Connecticut when it returned from the trip in February of 1909 and Teddy Roosevelt addressed the crew. And as we know, Teddy Roosevelt was BFF with William Allen White. Right, right. And you've seen a picture, right, of uh, McCain's grandfather. What was he doing in the picture? Yeah, he was on the deck of the ship and Teddy uh, with all the other sailors. So it's like a huge group of sailors. And then at the center front is Teddy Roosevelt in his, you know, his um, hat and black coat, very rotund. Giving and he's addressing speech, the crowd. Addressing the sailors. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Man, that you Roosevelt. Can find it on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Not that that's our source that we use. Okay, so there's the connection to uh, John McCain. And Nick, you want to give him next week's or the next episode's challenge? Sure. Next cha next challenge is to connect William Allen White to Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., better known as Joe Biden, who was the senior senator senior senator from the state of Delaware and member of the Democratic Party. All right. And so, if you have a solution to that, just send your solution to podcasts at kshs.org, and that is podcast with an S. That's it for episode 39, Drunken Flapper. Join us in two weeks for the final segment in our two-part series dedicated to newspaper editor William Allen White. We'll finish our tour of his historic home and take a close look at a unique jaguar skin rug shot by a president in South America and given to a 14-year-old boy in Emporia, Kansas. 
You can see these items and many more on exhibit at the William Allen White House State Historic Site. This podcast is a production of the Kansas Historical Society. Better yet, make a girlfriend disappear.